My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? My uncle abused me. The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Hi, I'm Mandy Zucker, host of The Morning Meeting. Today on the show, I'm interviewing Tapora Eisenstein. Tapora is a licensed clinical social worker in Brooklyn, New York, who specializes in eating disorders, as well as recovering from trauma and loss. I'm excited to talk to her today about young adults and eating disorders and how that relates to grief. So Tapora, thank you so much for coming on the Morning Meeting Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. This is my first time doing a podcast, so have grace for my nerves, but yeah, this is an awesome opportunity. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? What got you into this field? We're going to be talking today about eating disorders, but I think you have a broader area of expertise, but why don't you just talk a little bit about your work and where you are? And Yeah, so I have a private practice in Brooklyn, and my specialties are trauma and eating disorders. And I know you specialize in grief and you reached out to me to talk about the intersection between those things and grief. And what I told you, I'm like, oh, I think I'm talking about grief all day, <laughs> even though that's not like my specific specialty. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's what I primarily do. But of course, I treat people who are grieving as well, in addition to depression, anxiety and, you know, all the fun stuff. So why don't you just, you know, I was really curious, I think, about eating disorders because you know, it's it's an issue that a lot of young people, young adults face. Talk a little bit. I found you on Instagram, so I'll just say that. And I, um, by the way, um, would recommend people follow you because you have a great Instagram page. I told you I need a tutorial. All right. <laughs> but, but what I noticed is that there's a lot of intersection between eating disorder and grief that you talk about on your page. Talk a little bit about that, about the intersection between grief and eating disorders. Yeah, that's a lot. The first thing I thought of is like eating disorders bring on so much grief and also are caused by grief. I could start from any one of those. <laughs> start with um, the, like the, you know, why people develop an eating disorder and the grief that may start prior to that. Yeah. So people developing disorders really like I can't give a one little answer, right? Because people develop them from all different predispositions. There's genetic, there's, um, you know, we always talk about nature and nurture and there's cultural predispositions and there's all of these um, reasons, you know, where that meets, where someone does develop an eating disorder, but an eating disorder is not just like you know, someone's not engaging in good self-care for a few days, right? It's when those behaviors with food go to a severity and very often to a level of trying to control their emotions through their food behaviors. I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking like control, and that is always a big thing when you're dealing with grief, right? So typically when you lose something, oftentimes you didn't have control over that, especially if somebody dies, um, unless you killed them you probably didn't have control over the fact that they died. So 
do you see eating disorders as a way, not as a healthy way necessarily, but as a way that people are trying to gain some control over, you know, some of the, some of their life that they've lost control over? Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? There's the things that are beyond our control about life in general, like aging, time, basic body grief that people are going through when they're engaging in eating disorder behaviors. And also the flip side, right? You're talking about people who are grieving over someone who died. So often you see a change in appetite, right? Change in sleep habits. And to a degree, those are very normal, very average, right? But sometimes, you know, emotions stemming from the grief or prolonged grief, right, could become a problem, right? When we talk about survival's guilt or self-denial people engage in when they're grieving sometimes where like, I don't want to feel happy. I don't want to partake in pleasure because that will, you know, invalidate my grief. How long could that go on before that becomes an eating disorder, right? And so much about eating disorders is self-denial. And so denial of pleasure, denial of food, denial of any worthiness. And so there's a place sometimes where it ends up meeting an eating disorder. Such an interesting concept because you're right. So changes in appetite are very common, you know, one extreme or the other. I have no appetite. I can't eat anything or all I can do is eat because I just feel like nothing's satisfying me and all I can do is eat. And then you get these messages, right? Like, from friends, from family, like you're not eating, right? And then people are like, well, you look so great. You've lost a few pounds, like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, and then you're like, oh, okay. So I, you know, I can keep doing this. People are giving me compliments. People are making me, you know, feel good about my body. And how easy is that for that to change into disordered eating? Sure. And that's the body image piece, right? Where sometimes unintentional weight loss or weight gain can evoke or bring up body image issues that someone didn't even know they were having or just create new ones, Mm -hmm. even from what you're talking about, like society comments. And even if someone, not only eating disorders come from body image struggles, which people don't always realize, right? And I'm talking about even just the control piece where controlling your emotions, right? Like I think of eating disorders as the, coat that protects a person from their emotions, whether it's through restriction, through a lot of compensative behaviors, more purging over exercising, you know, like compensatory, or we're talking about, you know, when you're talking about people who overeat to numb their emotions, right? All of that, like you said, people are going to get comments, people are going to get criticism, people are going to have people talk to them about that, and maybe even talk about their body when it's totally unrelated, it could be unintentional, and it could be about, I don't want to make I don't want to feel my feelings. Um, and especially in the context of what you're talking about, really painful feelings of grief, which who isn't trying to gain some control over that. Right, right. And I think also like this idea that, you know, in some ways our bodies can protect us from connection to other people, right? When you don't feel good about the way you look, it keeps you away from other people, from from creating intimacy with other people. So you can overeat or undereat and say like, I don't want anybody to see my body, you know, not even like in a, you know, romantic or sexual way, but just like it keeps people away from you um, or it gives you an excuse to stay away from people. Yeah. So, you know, if anybody's listening, I think one of the most important things we could do is not comment on people's bodies. 
Oh, yeah. So if you take one thing away from this, right, like don't make assumptions about where people are at. Just like, you know, you never know what someone's going through when it comes to emotions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've normalized a lot in society of commenting on weight loss and specifically complimenting it saying like, oh, you look so good because you lost weight. And the person could be like, I have an eating disorder or I am struggling because I just lost someone and food makes me nauseous. <laughs> like, yeah, and right. it could create that dynamic where, oh, now I have to lose weight. Now I look better. Now I'm getting that validation. Yeah. Really? Like you could see this whole cycle, which is why it's, it is, it's just, you know, I, I think we're coming around to that idea, but I think so many people still think, you know, it's a compliment to say to somebody, you know, oh, you, I noticed that you lost weight. You look great. Um, yeah. And how, how damaging that can be for so many people. And it makes you, yeah, it makes it really hard for people to recover too. Because if we're talking about someone who's already in eating disorder treatment and wants to get better. And very often that will, if they came to treatment with a dramatic weight change, not everyone does. Some people will look the same throughout, but some people have gained a lot or lost a lot of weight before treatment. And it makes them, it makes it so hard. Like it makes the world so cold for someone to try to recover in that environment, because let's say someone has to gain weight in their recovery and they're receiving these messages wherever they go from stores, you can't fit into our clothes, right? From people assuming they're unhealthy when they're the healthiest they've ever been. And constantly getting that message again and again makes it really hard for people to recover. And that's why in eating disorder treatment, we talk about body grief, which is grieving the loss of what you thought you would have at the end of the line with your behaviors right? Grieving this imaginary better life, right? At the end of it. And also grieving the fact that for some people, they may recover in stigma, into stigmatized bodies. That's so interesting, this whole idea. So, you know, we started with like, so grief may create or, uh, you know, create an environment where, you know, you're sort of ripe to develop an eating disorder, but yeah. an eating disorder also creates grief. Um, yeah. You know, you, you sort of mentioned this idea that like, if I, if I just get to this weight, you know, either higher or lower on the scale, um, then I'm going to be happy. And then, you know, hopefully we can, so hopefully we can like recalibrate our brains, right. To know that this is where we're supposed to be. This is healthy. It's different than what we thought we were going to look like, or the number is different on the scale and that creates grief, right. Um, just, accepting the fact that this is where my body is healthy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we call it like a perceived loss, right? Because in reality, people in all bodies are loved every day. And we mean love in all ways, right? But we have this perception based, you know, coming from this hyper, you know, the fashion world and this hyper focused thinness in diet culture and all of this, where we live in a culture that prioritizes thinness and gives it this like pedestal in beauty and love. And, you know, you're posing, you're selling cars with people's thin bodies. Right. Um, so people are given this message time and time again, that you're going to lose everything. If you let yourself gain weight, if someone has lost weight in their eating disorder. Right. And so you're talking about like living a new normal. What does a new normal look like for someone who has let go of that? right? Does that mean shopping in new stores, right? Eating in a new way, creating a new life that doesn't promote those behaviors, maybe setting some boundaries with friends on what kind of diets they can talk about around them. Cause it's like, 
you're driving this home that I got to lose weight. And in my recovery, I need to gain. Um, it, it's, you know, it's something that's, it, body grief is a big part of recovery for that reason. You know, I think the world I've never is- heard that term body grief, but I think yeah. it's also really interesting as, um, as I, as I think about my own, like aging, right? Like, yes. so it's, it's not, I mean, sometimes it is about weight, but sometimes it's just about, you know, the bags under my eyes or, you know, the, as we're all looking at zoom and my neck and, you know, like all of these things that are sort of just happening to my body, right. The gray hair, like the things that I like don't want to happen to my body. And that term body grief, I think, you know, is a really important one, but um, one that we can all relate to, because I think for college students, weight change is a very common, you know, with disordered eating or not, like you go away to college, you're not eating the same foods, your routine has changed, your sleep patterns has changed. So it makes sense that your weight's going to change as well, which means your body's going to look different. And that grief over the body that you had, or the body that you're, you know, becoming, um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you're talking about like the freshman 15 yeah. that we all went to college knowing about. <laughs> Everyone goes away. And so much of that has to do with like going away from home for the first time, right? Like it has to do with a life change. Like, okay, like there's no more like you must come home at this time. And yeah. the letting go happens with food as well, which is a development stage, right? Of going from adolescent to young adult that it's like, oh, it's, let's make it all about the weight right? Let's call it the freshman 15. What about like the liberated freshman of college? <laughs> you know, like seeing how, how much of that is freedom, right? Absolutely. Um, but you're talking about age. That's why I think this topic is so relevant to anyone, whether they struggle with eating disorders or not, whether they struggle with having just lost someone or not, because I mean, how existential do we want to go? But, you know, we all have to face constant change in our lives. Nothing is nothing's permanent and constant change brings up at a certain level, constant grieving. Absolutely. Change is loss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're gaining something new, but you're also losing the old. And in the case of us and our relationship with time, you know, losing our youth, losing energy potentially, right? Like changing towards like less mobility. I mean, as you get older, you're seeing changes that we perceive as worse. Right. And so, like you said, it's, it's a loss that we're constantly dealing with. And of course, you know, women compared to men and how, again, I'm going to go back to culture because it affects us. Like how are women who are aging, like the new sex in the city um, reboot, how are they being spoken about compared to aging men in Hollywood and the glory they're given? Right. Like I think women get the aging brunt so much, so much more. And it creates a real fear and lack of like, oh, you're gonna get old and wise. No, you're gonna get old and ugly and you're gonna decay, you know? And so this body grief really affects so many people, especially women, I think. Absolutely. I also think that, you know, for people that are recovering or in recovery from an eating disorder, um, there are some common, just like there are when you're, you know, experiencing life after a loss, there's some common reactions that we all go through, you know, some common feelings and things that we experience. And when we talk about recovering from an eating disorder, like, 
you know, you had a relationship with food and I know eating disorders aren't all about food, but Mm -hmm. you did have a relationship with food and now that relationship has to change and you really can grieve the loss of that comfort or the, you know, the loss of control that you thought you had, um, you know, by, by, uh, by either restricting or by eating certain foods. So I wonder if you could talk about some of those common uh, feelings and reactions that people experience when they're going through recovery from an eating disorder. I mean, I think when anyone comes to treatment um, from an eating disorder, from addiction, from any compulsive behavior, at a certain level, you know, people may be telling them like, you're in denial about your behavior, but they've come to treatment, right? They're already they've already grieved that lack of control, so to speak, to some capacity, right? They've already faced like, you know, this has gone out of hand, but it is a relationship. I think of the eating disorder as like a relationship with the eating disorder, right? It's, I don't know, there's a relationship with food, but more so eating disorders usually encompass more than food. Um, So often, just like many other behaviors, it goes along with isolation. And so the person is isolating, whether they're isolating because of fear of being around triggering food, whether they're isolating because of body image struggles, whether there's a anxiety underneath that has presented an eating disorder, right? There's so many ways where when someone is struggling with any kind of compulsive cycle, they've distanced from other people and are in a relationship with that part of themselves. It's a battle in your own mind, right? right? But it's a relationship between different parts of you. And so you're saying like, And everyone's like, let go of that. Get rid of that. That's bad. You know, we don't like that part of you, but it's a part of you. And so we can't like shame and, 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 you know, stamp it into submission and be like, that part of me is bad and it's stupid and it's not rational. So I am going to not live like that anymore. Right. And so a big part of grieving that loss of that part of you is becoming friends with it. Right. Like learning to accept it in a way that's, I know you're a part of me. This is a part of who I am. This is not some force, right? And I'm not going to be able to just get rid of it. I'm going to have to let it, I, the term I use is let it sit down for tea, have a talk with that part of you, right? And let it express itself. And so often what it needs to express is fear. It has fear, right? Yeah, that's powerful to think about like, that's what it, that's what it all is, right? A lot of this is just about fear. Um, yeah. Fear of not being loved, right? Fear. I mean, that's usually the more gross fear um, for whatever reason. Right. Um, but that's, so when you're asking like, what is the grief, how does the grief show up in treatment? Right. So, so the person saying like, this has taken up this much time in my life. Was time lost? You know, that's the biggest question. Like, did I lose all this time? Um, did I waste the years away? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. What if that part was labeled bad? Right. So does that mean I was in, it doesn't count? How do you integrate it into a part of your journey? Like you've been through a challenge, you've been through an experience, and now that's a part of you and that will turn into recovery. But only if you really integrate and accept that that is a part of who you are and grieve all the places that it filled, it was your best friend, it was your constant companion. You know, we think of like the void, right? When you're telling someone you're obsessing over numbers all day, or you're obsessing over what people think of you, you're obsessing over 
your the next meal. What are you going to do? Yeah. Where am I going to eat? It could show up in so many ways. I don't like getting too specific, but you know, we're telling someone like, take that out. <laughs> Welcome to the void, right? What am I going to do with that space? Yes. And yeah, the loss of like the best friend or that part of yourself and framing it in that way where you accept that it played a role. You know, I think of when we talk about the comparison to addiction, because it's pretty easy, the comparison, right? Where someone um, shows up to a therapist and is like, I'm addicted to this thing. And they'll like, list all the reasons why it's terrible, right? Like, oh, I lost my money. I lost my this. It's like, how does it serve you, right? If you're not asking, how does it serve you? What role does it play in your life? Then the person gets to say, you know, I'm really socially anxious. And when I drink, that's how I meet all my friends. Am I going to lose all my friends? Now we get to talk about the fear. Yes. And also, eventually, we can talk about like, well, how can we maintain our friendships without that? Yeah. So, you know, that's so important to be able to think about, like, how can I live life uh, without that companion, without that thing that, you know, has helped me so much, because clearly has helped in some, some ways. It got you here today, right? It got you to come to your therapist's office today. Like, these behaviors that are maladaptive got you through something. And none of these, nothing happens in a vacuum. Nothing happens for no reason. No one gets engaged in, you know, so often, like you said, from grief, right? Like it, ha- it could happen from something terrible in someone's life, whether it's a trauma, loss of a person, of someone close to them. It can come, it, we're trying to gain control often, right? Of things that are beyond our control. And so you were trying to work through that. You, fell into maladaptive patterns to cope and guess what you're still here which means you did it which means you have hope and let's try to make it better yep yep right like like bring in a future where you're not like we said before like it's sort of at war with yourself so where you're not at war with yourself where you're an integrated human being where you feel more wholesome so what would you suggest if there's somebody um what i've been learning so much about is the lack of resources available on so many college campuses um and not not blaming them there's just a lack of resources so what are some good resources for you know teens and young adults if they are concerned about their eating um think they might have an eating disorder are there good websites or books or podcasts that they should be checking out to, to make sure they're getting the right kind of support? Yeah. Well, there's Recovery Warriors. I okay. think that's the name. Mm-hmm. They have a podcast and she has newsletters, programs that she sends out. Podcast is a great resource. There are so many therapists. I, I know of a podcast called Disordered Eating or... Um, even for people who don't struggle with a full-fledged eating disorder, because if it's like, you know, treatment is the only thing that can help someone who has a clinical eating disorder. But so many people fall into that camp between where, you know, unfortunately, disordered eating is almost a norm. And it's kind of like a work we're doing as a civilization, like you said, like we're getting there, right? That's what we're working on. And there's so many podcasts um, out there with that in the title itself. It's called Disordered Eating. They just changed the order. It's kind of silly. I wish we had another name, but <laughs> right, like Disordered Eating is a step before eating disorder. Um, but there, so looking up podcast is a great resource. Um, there's an intuitive eating book um, made by a therapist and a dietitian together. So for people who like reading and want to understand a way of eating that's more connected to themselves as a whole, being in touch with their hunger and fullness cues as 
it's ironic that that didn't come up in this podcast yet, but that's so typical with eating disorders, right? The food comes last, which you don't expect. But, you know, ideally the way someone should eat is based on when they're hungry and full and what they like, which sounds so basic, but we've been pulled away from that, right, emotionally. And I think there's also a lot of um, intuitive eating, also the yogic eating is kind of similar to that, like eating based on, you know, mindfully, Yep, mindful eating. There's other practices. So I'd recommend that. NIDA, N-E-D-A, is a huge organization that has also a lot of resources. And if someone can't afford to be in specific therapy or working directly with a dietitian or don't think they're that, they need that yet, there are so many people who offer groups. So it's a little more portable, um, but with a professional so that they can have some level of support. And really supporting each other. I mean, you know, college students can tell each other, yeah, we accept the freshman 15. We love it. It means we're having fun, right? Like what if we had that more, some, some students, you know, saying, don't talk about that stuff around me. That brings me down. Like, you know, when people want to, you know, have anxiety about how they're looking, how they're changing and bring a lot of attention to the outside. It's like, how are we doing inside? I want to focus on that. And there are ways to set boundaries with friends just saying like, I'm trying to love myself or I'm trying to accept myself or I'm trying to live true to myself. And I don't want to be pulled away from my intuition all the time with all of this, you know, all of this talk that pulls us away. So I would recommend that as well. I have one other question. I was just thinking also about like, you know, finances and college students. So, you know, that poor college student is a thing, right? I mean, college is so expensive and we hear about so many students that are literally living in their cars because they can't afford housing um, just so they can go to college. Healthy food is also really expensive. So- Burger King or McDonald's, Mm -hmm. I just aged myself, I think by saying Burger King, but you know, that's much cheaper than going to the grocery store and buying fresh fruits and vegetables and fish and, um, you know, lean protein. And if they don't have a, you know, a place that they're living that has, you know, a refrigerator and a stove and all of those things, it's much harder to eat in a healthy way. And I just wonder if you have any tips for, students who are really on a budget, you know, sometimes yeah. like all they can afford is the vending machine um, to, to grab something. So even if they're, you know, as we said, like, sometimes they're not trying, not that anybody really tries to, to get an eating disorder, but, you know, that yeah. is also like sort of ripening the environment for an eating disorder. So when you, you, when you don't have the funding to be able to afford some of the food that you think might be most healthy and good for your body. Do you have any suggestions um, for students on a tight budget? Yeah. The first thing I'm thinking of the whole time you're saying this is like, can we talk about how privileged diet culture is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, who is it talking to? Yep. Who, I mean, some diets sell full menus that you must order to your house. So it's like, are we all celebrities of personal chefs and like personal trainers and meals coming at us. No, most people are living like similar to what the student you described, like trying to get by, trying to eat to get through the day to, you know, to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And they just want to eat in a way that like sustains them the longest that they, and that they could afford. Yeah. So like, that's just a piece of, you know, when 
we're surrounded by diet culture to notice how privileged it is, how unrealistic it is. And speaking to general perfectionism, which is so pervasive in eating disorders, like the unrealistic standards that we set for ourselves. And here it's an unrealistic standard set by culture. This is how you should be. Of course, you should be exercising this much a day. And if you don't, you're going to die tomorrow. And if you eat up from McDonald's, you, you are putting toxins in your system. Like what kind of language is that? Have we lived through history at all? People sometimes don't have food and guess what? Their body knows exactly what to do with McDonald's. Their body knows exactly how to take the nutrients out from that. So um, it's a privileged conversation. It's not realistic. It's not true. Um, and so what would be my advice? I mean, a lot of this is relevant to more dietitian territory, but of course, here's the basic of what sustains you, right? Which is combining proteins with fats or proteins with carbs, proteins with fiber. You can get that at McDonald's or at the farmer's market, right? Combinations of those things. So I would advise making combinations, right? Like, so, you know, learning the basics of like, what is an intuitive eating the last chapter, is called gentle nutrition, which is how to make sure you are getting your nutrition needs met, right? Now, for some of these people, if they have insurance, sometimes it could cover some vitamins, you know, and things like that. For some who don't, right? You know, it's tough. Um, so definitely trying to get, um, you know, from more affordable places. It's also speaking to, um, when I talk about fruits and the concept of eating, things like that, grouping together can help right? Where people buy things in bulk. So if people, if there wasn't so much shame about finances and if people were able to communicate and say like, I want to buy a bag of apples for all of us for the week and a thing, how much more portable is that? Right? So it takes a village is a real thing. Um, again, speaking to the privilege and the loneliness of diet culture, right? Like, no, it, it takes a village to feed ourselves and, you know, to afford everything. But when it comes to even eating fast food, making sure that it's, balance so that it could sustain you longer. That's a financial advice as well as nutrition yeah. advice. Yeah. But the psychology is what I'm speaking to, like the thought process of I shouldn't be doing this. That's ridiculous. This is food. It's food. It's a real food. It is not poison. <laughs> like that kind of talk. There's someone who wrote a book called um God, his name is from England. Um called Food Isn't Medicine, which debunks a lot of these um stories about like calling food poison and calling this piece of turmeric, like, you know, like this is medicine for everything and how you've been pulled away from science as well. Right. Um, there is nutrition in food that we call food in society. Your body knows exactly what to do with it. So you try to just make the most of it, you know? Yep. I like the idea of like pooling together. I mean, I remember, um, when I lived in New York City in an apartment, I had these like little refrigerators. My neighbor and I would go to Costco together and that's what we would do. Like I couldn't fit like this thing of four things of lettuce in my refrigerator. Like it would take up the whole vegetable yeah. drawer. So we would go together and then we would split it, um, you know, just so that we, because our refrigerators were too small to hold all of the food, but exactly. it was cheaper <laughs> to buy it that way. So, you know, that's how we managed to get, you know, good prices on food um, and fit them into our little refrigerators. 
And then New York City has its way of taking you back to like this tribal mentality. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's a really great idea. And especially for college students, you know, if you are fortunate enough to be to be living, you know, on campus or in an off campus apartment, you know, there's a lot of community living. Um, so talk to your roommates about, you know, I'm going to buy, you know, yeah, this bag of apples instead of this one apple for myself. Um, and we can, you know, bring home the receipts and split the bills or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, bills, and even right? in vending machines, like, you know, I think there are, um, there's, you know, lots of choices in vending machines. So you're able to make good, you know, to make varied choices, I think is sort of the way that you said that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like there's options with nuts in them, I'm sure, right, which would be uh, probably sustain you longer. And the way that we talk about health in food, right, when outside of diet culture, that's sort of the picture that you're getting is like, what's an ideal diet, so to speak, right? And it is flexible. Um, it is flexible. Now, if someone can afford to have like this, like 70% to 30% ratio of like, you know, treats and whole food, like, Great if you could do that. Most people aren't there. So it's more like, what's your relationship with it? And, you know, when you have a healthy relationship with pizza and fast food, you're not binging on it. You know, you can have it again. It's not scarcity. It's not something that's, you know, what's it going to do to my body, right? Because you don't feel the need to eat more of it than, you know, and if you could add some spinach on top of it or whatever the store gives you, you just had vitamins just like that right it doesn't have to be fresh from the farm to have vitamins again our bodies know exactly what to do with frozen broccoli and you know nutrition from fast food and all these things so that's in terms of that like yeah you try your best to get something with you know nuts in it or some other kind of varied option right um but not for the sake of having an ideal body but more like to do what food isn't meant to do which is to sustain you and to you know to feed you mm -hmm. like Absolutely. physically and, and emotionally to feel mm -hmm. good about it mm -hmm. if people have more questions or they want to reach out to you how can they do that so my instagram is a great place um linkedin too but i'm probably on instagram more like the one last <laughs> so yeah my handle is just my name and definitely send a dm or the link to my website is there as well I will add that to the show notes so people can see that. You also have a website, right? Yeah, it's linked in my Instagram. Um, it's Paula Eisenstein Psychotherapy.com. I will yeah. add that too. So thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a really interesting conversation. I'm so glad that I found you. Yeah, me as well. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you to Tzipora for coming on the show. Next week, I will be talking to my good friend, Connie Palmer. Connie and I worked together for years, and I have learned so much from her. We're going to talk about the relationship between grief and shame. So I hope you will join us for that. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.